as you find your seats. If you'll turn with me to that oh-so-typical book in the Bible for Father's Day, Leviticus. Leviticus 18. We'll start there, uh, looking to God's Word there, and also the prophet Jeremiah this morning. Hey, as we begin, I got a question for you. Whatever happened to the average kid? I mean, what happened to that kid that's just like right in the perfect middle? What happened to the average kid? Have you noticed that they're completely gone? Have you ever gone to a parent and they asked them, hey, tell me about your kid. You know what? They're just average. They're just like status quo right there in the old middle. That's where my kid is. I, mean, I, I don't know about you. I haven't heard that in a long time. What about those Christmas cards? It seems like everybody has at least one kid with at least one amazing talent. And we hear told over and over again, I mean, success after success after success, thinking, I always want to get a card saying, you know what, my kid's got like a C average. <laughs> He's like, sits right in the middle of the bench in the games, doesn't get a whole lot of playing time. You know, he, he's okay looking. And she's rather, you know, her SAT scores are all right. I mean, average just seems to be like the new, you can't stand it anymore. We got to have kids that are excelling. And seems like some people that I know, they have kids excel everywhere. It's like, oh my goodness, the laundry list of their, of their achievements as a 13-year-old, it's staggering. How do you do it? Well, all parents should be proud of their kids no matter where they are. Let me tell you that. No matter who God has given you, uh, whether they're an adoptive child or they're a child biologically, whatever gifts and abilities God has given to them and has not given to them. As parents, we need to love them, rejoice over them, sing over them, celebrate who they are, right? And really point to them what success really is. The question is, what should we be celebrating about our children's success? What should we be most proud about? What should we be writing in our Christmas cards? And what makes, really, the, not only what we should be celebrating, but what makes, what makes a child or what makes us, what makes a child successful? It seems to me that we live in a time that we are passionate, oh, so passionate about our children's success. It seems to me that we live in a time that we will sacrifice almost anything to gain what we will see as success in our lives or for our children. So I think the most important thing that we could do is gather around God's word, stop for a moment and ask the question we got to ask, what is success? What is success for our children and what are we willing to sacrifice for that success? Well, God told his people in the Old Testament that they weren't to sacrifice their children to false gods. You see, they had this crazy belief in the land that they were going, this promised land, that the, the people that lived there believed that if they sacrificed their own children, that somehow the gods would be happy with them and they'd have a successful life. And God says, don't do that. Hello? Don't do that. Don't sacrifice your children to false gods, okay? Can all people say amen? amen? I mean, come on. Don't sacrifice your children to false gods. But do you guess what? You know, for this, it's crazy. It's crazy. We're going to see it in Jeremiah. God's people did it. They did it. 
The culture around them so affected them. They got the Christmas cards. They saw everybody else's kids. And they thought maybe that's the way to do it. And God's people offered God's children on the altar of false gods for their success. We got to say, really? I got to tell you, it's, it's stories like this in the Old Testament. I look back and think, those people are ignorant. Those people are odd. Those people got issues. I'm thankful it's me, you know, because I'm not ignorant, odd, or have issues. The reality is, listen, our society's false gods are a whole lot better dressed, a whole lot more sophisticated, a whole lot different than gods named Moloch or Baal. But we got to be careful. Are we falling into the same pattern of offering our children the sacrifices to false gods? On this Father's Day, we're going to look to three fathers and look at their stories and how these fathers sacrificed for their children's success. Listen, how these three fathers sacrificed for their children's success or did they sacrifice their children for their success? Did you hear the difference? I'm telling you there's a fine line between sacrificing for our children or our success and sacrificing our children for our or their success. So we're going to look to God's word. We're going to look to God's word and say, God, speak to us and show us where we need to be a people of God sacrificing our children. And how do we do it in a way that brings you glory? All right, let's look at God's word. And it's in the book of Leviticus. We're going to start with Leviticus 18, 21. Uh, Moses was writing this to, his, to the, God's people heading into the promised land. Now listen, this is like, get the urgency of this. God is writing it to his people who are about ready to go to a place where some really bad things were going on. And he wanted to make sure that they weren't going to do the same thing. Because God is holy, he calls us to be the same, holy and separate. So we're going to start with Leviticus 18.21. Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to God's people and to us, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, a false god, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Seems pretty obvious right there that God is being black and white and clear. And then in chapter 20, he'll emphasize this. Not only should we not do this, we shouldn't allow anyone else to do it. Listen to what God's word says in Leviticus 20, verses 1 through 5. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the sojourners who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Moloch, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people, because he has given one of his children to Moloch, to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Moloch and do not put him to death, then I'll set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Moloch. And then you get to Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah now is speaking to God's people, uh, exiled because of the way that they are acting. In verse 35, 
he speaks to the children of Judah. They built the high places of Baal, another false god, in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to offer up their sons and daughters to Moloch. Though I did not command them, nor did it enter my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and be teacher among us? Because this this passage, this word seems so distant and so foreign and so weird and so bizarre. How in the world do people live their lives when they sacrifice the greatest gift you give us, the children, to false gods? Father, how diabolical that behavior is to a holy God. And Father, we need to see where we too have the propensity to bring our children and offer them as a sacrifice on the wrong mountain for the wrong God, following after the wrong success. So God, would you come and would you give us ears to hear your voice? Oh, lion of the tribe of Judah, roar. Roar over this people. Roar over our sin. Roar over our understanding of success. Roar. Roar in a way that that we can have minds to understand who you are and what you are asking of us. Roar, oh, tribe of the lion of Judah. Jesus, roar over our hearts. Our hearts of unbelief, give us hearts of belief that beat for you. Oh, Jesus, roar so that we could walk in a manner worthy of you. Holy Spirit, come. The things that I say that are my opinion are wrong, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus, which you roar in such a way that those things shape us to become more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along in an outline of your bulletin, it's there for you. We're going to look at these three things and these three stories. The first one is this. Sacrificing our children, climbing the mountain of our success. Are we sacrificing our children, climbing the mountain for our success? Story number one. Man's name, George Herbert Lee Mallory, the British mountaineer that in the 1920s wanted to be the very first man to uh, rise to the summit of Mount Everest. When he was asked the very good question in 1920s, why do you want to climb Mount Everest? He gave the famous response, because it's there. I know it's there and I'm not going to go climb it. What was he saying? Because it's there. Because it's there, there was a challenge for him to go and explore. You see, it was more than just it was there. Mallory later explained that there is something in man which responds to the challenge of this mountain and goes out to meet it. I love what he's saying. I think it's true. There's something in man that loves to respond to an adventure. There's something in man that loves to respond to a challenge. And it may not be the mountain of Everest, but in most, in all of us, there is something in us as men that we love to climb mountains. We love adventure. We love to see your challenge to try to rise up and meet it. 
he goes on to say, uh, we get sheer joy from adventure. It's true, isn't it? But look at his worldview and what Mallory says. And joy is, after all, the end of life. And when he says the end of life, he's talking about the goal or purpose of life. Here's what Mallory's saying. Hey, it's more than just because it was there. It was because I'm made for adventure and I'm made for adventure. When I go on adventure, man, do I find joy and joy is the purpose of all of life. I mean, Mallory is basically tipping his hand that he would be described as a hedonist. He's one who will pursue joy at all costs. He will pursue joy and want to sacrifice everything else to gain joy. Is that your worldview? Did God just create you for joy? Is that what life is all about? I mean, God has given us life to have joy in it, but I got good news for you. He's created you for something so much more than just pursuing joy and sacrificing everything else because of it. Look what he says. Man does enjoy adventure, but sinful man has the, lost the ability to know which adventure we should be pursuing. Let me say it clearer. Because we're sinful and we love adventure, we love the adventure of capturing a woman's heart. Too many times the wrong woman. The woman married to somebody else. We love the adventure of pursuing things that aren't going to be healthy for us and and aren't really, it's all about our bottom line. We do love adventure, but the sin thing has so messed us up that we pursue adventure the wrong way. The joy of life is not the ultimate goal. Mallory went on though. He went on to further elaborate that he was climbing Everest. I got to love this, ladies. Got to get ready for this one. He was actually climbing Everest for his wife. How many women have heard their husbands or their fathers that will say something like this? You know I'm doing all this for you, don't you? I mean, come on. Am I, am I, am I not talking about the truth here? I mean, how many times have we come in and, and we've wanted to um, defend our position for spending so many hours pursuing either our jobs or our, our, our interests or our hobbies or whatever, and somewhere we'll say, honey, I'm really doing all this for you, you know. I'm working this hard to provide for you and our children. I'm so noble, look at me, and I'm so grateful for a godly wife who sees right through that baloney every time. But Mallory, he says, you know what? I'm climbing Everest for you, dear. Listen to what he writes. Dearest, you must know that the spur to do my best is you and you and again. I want more than anything to prove worthy of you. I'm taking a couple shots at men here because I am one. To me, I think it was a typical male response. Proving our worth to our wives on our terms. Proving our our worth to our wives on our terms, our conditions, the way we see it climbing our mountain. In 1924, Mallory has his second attempt on Everest. This time, although he didn't want to do it, he used oxygen. The first time he didn't use oxygen, he realized those who did, they went a lot faster, a lot further. So he was going to go use oxygen on this second climb. He gets to within 700 feet of the summit. He's last seen so, so close to actually making it. And then he seemingly is lost forever. No word from him. Did he get it? Did he make it? In 1999, May 1st, 1999, they found his body. They found his body. Uh, they found him face down. Uh, they found uh, still tethered to, uh, still had a rope tethered to him, probably to the other uh, climber, Sandy Irvine. Never found him. And there he was, 
He had a broken foot, and they were trying to put together how he actually got. Did he slip? Did he fall? And the question was, did he make it? And they were able to find on him much of his, his personal items, but there wasn't the picture of his wife and his son. And so they were saying, of course he made it, because he put that picture of his wife and his son uh, up on the summit, but they never found the picture. And there he was, sacrificing everything to try to have that goal of climbing Mount Everest, because it was there. All right, for those of you who have twisted and sick minds, there's actually a Google, you could Google bodies on Everest and you'll find bodies on Everest because they find them there. I mean, they, 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 they leave them. Where they find them, they leave them. Um, and as I was researching this, you could actually go see Mallory's body. It's kind of haunting. It really is. I got to confess to you, I spent way too much time on that website. I mean, I was like so intrigued with a guy with the green boots and, you know, and the, so... Anyway, go back and study God's word and you probably, I can see how many of you guys are going to be Googling dead bodies on Everest. Bunch of sickos. Okay, Mallory says he does it. He, listen, here's what he says. Mallory says, I, I climbed it because it's there. No, no, no. I climbed it because it's adventure. No, no, no. I did it for my wife. But you know what haunts me? It's his son, John. It's his son, John. Mallory's son, John, later wrote that he was proud of his dad. But he said this. I would much rather have known my father than to have grown up in the shadow of a legend, a hero, as some perceived him to be. You see, John wanted a dad, not a legend. Mallory would say that he climbed the mountain for his family. But here's the sad reality, that climbing the mountain to know and love and provide for his family wasn't enough the amazing daily routine of getting up and grinding for your family and trying to love them and provide for them and, and be with them through the good and the bad somehow wasn't noble enough for Mallory to climb. The questions I have for you dads are this. What mountains are you climbing to fulfill your adventure? What mountain are you climbing to prove your worth? And what are you sacrificing on that mountain. It's amazing, knowing my own life and knowing the life of the men around me, that you give us a challenge and we want to rise up to meet it. But you want to give us a challenge of trying to understand our wives and live with them in in an understanding, loving way. Ooh, that's a tough challenge. To really sit down and try to figure out and understand a teenage daughter, that's a tough challenge. And sometimes we leave what God has called us to climb that's more important to our pursuits outside sacrificing our children for our success. Second one is this, sacrificing our children, climbing the mountain of their success. Story number two, Marv Marinovich. Marv Marinovich was an athletic man, a strong man. He was able to receive a college scholarship to USC Trojans. He was a good enough football player to be selected and play in the NFL, but Marv would never be a Hall of Famer. He knew it, and Marv's interest actually started leading him away from football, and he became really consumed with sports therapy, with with training. I mean, his whole life was kind of consumed with uh, the passion of sports training, and he became a guru in sports training. As a matter of fact, his number one client, his most passionate client, proved to be his son, Todd. And when Todd was born, Marv had one goal, make the perfect quarterback. That was Marv's goal. 
And so right from the beginning, you put a football in the crib and you do everything to make sure that this little boy named Todd, he's going to have everything that he can have to become the world's greatest quarterback. How do you do it? How do you raise the perfect quarterback? Well, it does things like this. As a boy, uh, Marv did not allow his son Todd to do things like eat a Big Mac, have an Oreo or a Ding Dong. And when his son Todd was invited to birthday parties, I kid you not, you ready for this? Todd had to bring his own cake and ice cream because he didn't want his son to have sugar. He didn't want his son to have processed flour. So because of that, he made his son have a certain diet and didn't want him to have the kid's birthday cake because he wanted to raise the perfect quarterback. He seemed to be successful. Sports Illustrated ran in high school, a front cover of this guy. Front cover saying that this is the guy who was really, truly bred to be a superstar. The perfect QB, Todd Marinovich. Marv was quoted as saying this. Some guys think that the most important thing in life is their jobs. The stock market, whatever. To me, it was my kids. The question I ask myself, how could a kid develop if you provided him the perfect environment? A couple things we got to look at. First of all, it's this. It's not healthy for any of us to have our children as the center of the universe. It's not healthy. Your child shouldn't be there. It's a place rightfully that Jesus owns and he does not want to get off the throne. To raise our kids as the center of the universe communicates something horrible to them. That the world revolves around them. It's amazing because we have been blessed and so often we want to give our kids the world, give them everything we can, saying that's success. And then we whisper in their ears, having the whole world by the tail, by the way, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we wonder why they're confused. You see, Marv had his son in the center of the universe. He made him his idol and he was wrong. Another thing he did wrong was this. He was asking himself the question. I love this. I asked myself the question, how about the perfect environment? We should realize he never asked God, what do you want to do with this precious child you've given me, this one in your image? According to this, his really was he had all the wisdom to raise a child. He never asked godly friends. The point is is with this. If you're a parent and God has given you kids, don't just ask yourself what to do with them. You need help. Go to God, go to his word, go go to those that are godly around you. How'd you do it? How'd you raise them? And if they're truthful with you, they'll say, man, it was a struggle because they're broken like us. Make sure you see the truth. Don't just ask yourself how to raise a kid. And by the way, what is the perfect environment for a kid to be raised in? How do you create a perfect environment in an imperfect world? And what is a perfect environment for a quarterback? And don't you think God wants us to figure out an environment that raises a kid who loves Jesus? A godly kid? ESPN columnist named Marv Marinovich, one of history's worst sports fathers. Can you imagine that award? We got an award for the worst sports father. And this is a tough one because there's so many of you here that are qualified. (laughs) Marv Marinovich. Todd was a good enough quarterback to earn a scholarship to USC. He was a good enough college player to be a first-round draft pick by the Oakland Raiders. But he couldn't get away from being Todd Marinovich. As a matter of fact, he, listen, this is shit haunt us. He was quoted as saying, it's not easy and I don't like being Todd Marinovich. Alcohol and drugs ended his career and a life that was set up to be the world's greatest crumbled because that was not true success. 
Marv sacrificed his child on the mountain of his child's success. And it was the wrong mountain. What are you sacrificing your children's success? Are you sacrificing them? What environment are you creating for them to succeed? Point them to Jesus. Thirdly, offering our children on the mountain of Jesus' success. Offering our children on the mountain of Jesus' success. The third story is a man named Abraham. We call him Father Abraham. He waited a long time to have a son of promise. He and his wife, Sarah, they thought they'd never really have one. As a matter of fact, they took things into their own hands and that didn't turn out too well. But eventually God did give them a child and his name was Isaac, laughter. An amazing child of promise that God says that through him, he's gonna bless the entire world and he's gonna be an amazing boy. And what God says to him, is, it's kind of a crazy story. I don't have time to go through it. It's in Genesis 22. It's so much of the gospel right there. But God says to Abraham, I want you to take your child, the child that you love, the child you do anything for. You know what I'm talking about, parents. That child that is so much your joy, and I want you to offer him to me. I want you to bring him to me. And I want you to know that he, that I am more important than he is. And I want you to lay his life down for me. And incredibly, God provides for for Abraham and provides a ram and a sacrifice that points to Jesus. But the reality is this, is that he's calling each one of us to bring our children to the mountain of Jesus' success. What does that look like? Let me tell you a story that happens in Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes his three best friends, um, Peter, uh, James, and John, up to a mountain. And on that mountain, he is transformed before them. On that mountain, the veil, the veil of Jesus' humanity is removed. And they see Jesus for who he is. And oh my goodness, he's so radiantly beautiful and pure that he could hardly stand. It was an incredible moment where Jesus revealed to these three intimate friends who he really was. And on that mountain, on that time of transform, uh, transformation, something amazing else happened that Moses and Elijah appeared. And so here you have on this mountain the the most uh, prolific, the most important prophets of the Old Testament. I mean, the heroes of the Old Testament, and there they all are. And then then Peter is typical Peter. I mean, he's so excited, he doesn't know what to do. And I love this man because he's usually first to speak, last to think. And he says, man, this is incredible. I love being up here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a a nice little platform shelter for Moses because, man, he wrote most of the Old Testament. And I'm going to build a platform, a shelter for Elijah because this this dude, he battled the prophets of Baal, 500 of them. He killed them. It was amazing. Man, he was an incredible man of God. And I'm going to build a platform for Jesus. And I'm going to have all these three in a line. And it's like, like, there they are in their, their medal ceremony. And the father couldn't take anymore. And he basically says, he calls out from heaven and says, that one named Jesus, he's my beloved son. He's my son. Listen to him. And it was amazing what God was saying in that moment because he was basically saying, Moses and Elijah, don't put them in a line with my son Jesus. They only pointed to him. They're nothing compared to him. The one you listen to is Jesus and Jesus alone. Here's the point. Who are you listening to to guide your life and to raise your kids? Who's the primary, only source to listen to? It's Jesus and Jesus alone. No other authority, not even Elijah, not even Moses. They just pointed to him. How is it with you? Where does Jesus fit in when it comes to raising your children? Is he one voice among many? 
I mean, there's a lot of things that are going to tell you how to raise your kids and how to get a scholarship and how to be successful and what they need to be involved in. I know. But are we looking to Jesus and his word as the primary one? Second thing happened on that mount was amazing. When the father spoke and they all hit the ground and they got up and guessed there was only one that was remaining. It was fix your eyes on that only one. They fixed their eyes on Jesus. And here's what it means. Not only is there one who's supreme that we should be listening to, there's one who's supreme that we should fix our our whole life upon. You see, he's the author and the perfection of our faith. And it's basically saying this. God's word says, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. You want success in your life? Listen to God. You want success in life? Point your life toward Jesus. Imitate him. He is the one that we are to follow. Where's your life pointed? Where's your kids pointed? Is it on Jesus? Are we imitating him? But here's some really, really good news. Jesus didn't come just to be a teacher. And Jesus didn't come just to be a moral example. He came to give us success on a mountain called Calvary. He came to give us success that really transforms our lives, that we could live lives, lives abundantly. What does that mean? You see, Jesus' success is this. I'm gonna come and do all that that the Father required of you. I'm gonna come and live the life that you and I were supposed to live. I'm gonna come and die the death that we deserve. I'm gonna come and absorb God's wrath. And I'm gonna come and I'm gonna defeat death and break through and, and leave that tomb empty to proclaim that we can have a relationship now with holy God. God is saying the victory that Jesus earns for us, he gives to us as his children. It's more than just a teacher. It's more than just an example. It's a savior. Point our entire lives there. How is it with you? You know, I'll never forget the day I came home after junior high basketball practice and something magical happened. Somehow Greg Orlando's report card got into my book bag. To this day, I don't know how it happened, but an exchange took place. Greg got my report card and I got his. And as I pulled out the report card, there it is, 98 cumulative average. There it was, straight A's. There it was, a thing of beauty. So I put it on the refrigerator, (laughs) turn the tab of his name and just hang it on there to bask in the glory of a straight-A 98 report card. So my parents would have the joy of saying, wow. And somewhere I could hear a real lashing of Greg Orlando across town. (laughs) What happened, son? (laughs) Greg came to the doctor. He's a smart guy, always a very smart guy. You know, I just wanted to live a little bit of my life having someone else's report card. That's what the gospel's all about. You see, Jesus has come and says, you don't have to turn in at the end of the day your own report card. There's too many Fs. There's too many incompletes. There's too many times of cheating. But I'm gonna give you except you can live your life with my son's report card stamped permanently to your refrigerator. And know that all he has done, he freely gives to you. And know that the worth that he has has been given to you. Know that the Father's love, that's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm gonna give it to you through him. That's success. That's joy. That's life.
That's freedom. And that's what God offers us in Christ Jesus. That we now can bring our children in the arms of faith to the mountain of his success and the good news of the gospel and say, Lord Jesus, may they see you. Because success is knowing you and being known by you. Everything else is failure. Let us pray. It was a great day in the Jake's house, Lord, when I had Greg Orlando's report card. But the truth is, it was a mistake. And it wouldn't last. And I'd have to live up to what I actually have done. But God, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to the reality of who you are, Jesus. And that I can now live, that we can now live our lives because of what you have done for us, that your report card, Jesus, as the beloved son, as the one we need to listen to, as the beloved son, the one we need to imitate, that his life is now ours by your grace in faith, and that the life of Christ is a life that we can now have, that, that, tri- that triumph, that victory. Father, I pray for each and every one of us, For those of us who find ourselves on mountains that we shouldn't be on. Maybe we're there with our children. Maybe we're pushing our children up those mountains. Trying to find success in what the world says is success. Father, may we as your people find our success on a little hill named Calvary. And all that Jesus has done for us. I thank you, God, that all you require from us that Jesus has done for us and that we can now live our lives responding to your success, knowing that we are beloved in Christ Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here that's on the wrong mountain, by your grace, call them down, we pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen.